Keith Washington was an Army Lieutenant Colonel, police officer, and Homeland Security official in Prince George's County, Maryland, when on January 24, 2007, he was at home having dinner with his wife and daughter while waiting for a furniture delivery. When the delivery men, Brandon Clark and Robert White, arrived, Keith invited them into his home. However, when he found White snooping around his daughter's bedroom, he asked them to leave, but they wouldn't. Overpowered by the two much larger men, being kicked and stomped on, he feared for his wife and daughter's lives as well as his own. So he shot the assailants. Both were taken to the hospital, but only Robert White survived. White, a 12-time convicted felon, fabricated a story that excused him from what was just one in a string of other home invasions. It's clear which way this should have gone, but the official corruption and misconduct in Prince George's County is well documented. With the media frenzy that ensued, the prosecution team all jockeyed for ways to turn this justifiable shooting into an opportunity for their own career advancement with the appearance of upholding equal standards of justice for those in law enforcement. While the physical evidence from the investigation supported Keith's story of self-defense, they used the inconsistent story of a career criminal to send an upstanding citizen away for 45 years in prison. With the work of his legal team, along with Georgetown University's Making an Exoneree program, Keith is finally home after 13 years, while he continues to fight to clear his name. This is Wrongful Conviction with Jason Plum. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. I'm your host, Jason Flom. And today's episode, well, let me just say this before I even introduce our two incredible guests today. Our producer, Connor Hall, is an excellent researcher. But when he sent me the research on this case, and I was already familiar with the case, but I read it twice and I went, no, there's got to be mistakes here. This can't be the way it is. But it's all true, and you're going to hear the story straight from the mouth of the person who lived it, and I'm referring to Keith Washington. Keith, I'm sorry you're here because of the reason that you're here, but I'm very, very honored to have you on the show today. Well, listen, Jason, thanks for having me. I'm more than happy to be here, and with the help of a lot of good people, including Marty, that's the reason I'm here right now. And speaking of Marty, Marty Tankliff, my great friend and personal hero, has been on the show uh, several times, actually. His own story is harrowing as a story can get. He was wrongfully convicted of the murder of his parents and served 17 years in prison and now a practicing attorney and a co-professor at Georgetown University. He teaches the Making an Exoneree class, which had everything to do with helping to get Mr. Washington out of prison. And Marty is now Keith Washington's attorney. It's a full circle story. But it's not over yet. But anyway, Marty, it's so fucking great to have you on the show in this role. Thank you, Jason. It's always an honor and a pleasure to come on the show as we continue the fight for justice for so many individuals out there. And when you hear Keith's story, I think people will just be floored. I couldn't have said it better. If this happened to Keith Washington, who is the very definition of an American hero, then it can happen to anyone. And when I say that, Keith was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, served for over 25 years with honor, speaks five languages, attended some of the foremost military schools in the country, and everyone's lost count of how many awards and citations he's received for his service to our country. Upon returning home, Keith rose up in the ranks of the police department, served as a police officer for 17 years with distinction, never fired your weapon. I know that you were serving as a Homeland Security official as well. And by the way, when this happened, the father of a six-year-old girl, happily married. I mean, like, what am I missing here? You almost sound too good to be true. <laughs> what are your flaws? <laughs> hey, listen, you know, I, I thank you for that introduction. And I thank you for those comments. But I was just an average guy that worked hard all his life and tried to do the right thing. So, Keith, tell us about your upbringing. You came from a single mother, right? But give us a little bit of background, if you don't mind. Listen, I've had a job since I was 13 years old. My mother and father separated. And at that time, I became the man of the house, so to speak. And so I had a paper route every morning from 5 a.m. on my bicycle, my mother and I sometimes, in the rain, in the snow, whatever the conditions were. And so about 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, we'd finish, and then I'd head off to school. At some point in time, my mother suffered a serious illness. My three sisters had to go live with relatives. My mother spent five years in a mental institution. And so as a 16-year-old kid, I was homeless and just sleeping in the car, still going to school, though, every morning. At the end of my senior year, I saw a couple of friends of mine. I asked them where they're going, and they said, hey, we're going to join the Army. Just that quickly, I said, I'm going with you. And so I want to say that everything I've ever done or acquired in my life, I owe it to the Army, to the values they taught. It was the best thing that could have happened to me ever. From that, I grew into a man. 
stationed over in Korea for a year and a half as a teenager. When I came back, I decided I wanted to go to college. I went to college at Northwestern State University. I joined an ROTC program. I got commissioned as a second lieutenant after three and a half years in the Army. I graduated and I was sent to Fort Benning, Georgia, home of the infantry. Completed a few schools there, airborne school, infantry officer basic course, John F. Kennedy School of Special Warfare, a few terrorism schools, and assigned to the Special Operations Command. I couldn't believe my life how within a short, almost 10-year period had really changed based on the opportunities that the military had provided me. Around 1990, 11 years later, I joined the police department on Prince George's. And ultimately, after 9-11, based on my background, I was selected to be deputy director of Homeland Security for Prince George's County. And I was just willing to, you know, do what it took to accomplish whatever was before me. It's an amazing story. I mean, you transcended and triumphed over tough circumstances. That's not a strong enough way of saying it. I mean, you, and you ended up giving back as well, volunteering at the Cane River Children's Home. I mean, it's really inspiring and it should have played out in the way that you deserve, which was to go on and have a happy, productive life and ultimately, you know, retire and have a bunch of grandchildren maybe and then, who knows, play some golf, whatever. And then, of course, as we know, and as Marty knows intimately as well, everything can change in a second. And so it did on January 24th, 2007. Marty, can you take us through what happened that awful night? Sure, absolutely. So to put it simply, Keith defended himself, his wife and daughter, and tragically, instead of being labeled a hero, he was treated like a criminal. To walk you through what happened that day, Keith had taken the day off from work to accept a furniture delivery from Marlowe Furniture, and he was home with his wife, Stacy and his very young daughter, Kayla. The day passed, still no furniture. He called Marlowe. They assured him that the delivery would arrive that night. Finally, during dinner, the delivery men, Brandon Clark and Robert White, arrived. These are furniture movers, some really big guys, and it's a misnomer to call Robert White a furniture mover to begin with because he wasn't even employed by Marlowe Furniture at all. Uh, instead, he was Brandon Clark's cousin. But the appearance was, at that time, he worked for Marlowe Furniture. Delivery was meant for the master bedroom on the first floor, and at some point, Keith recognized that one of the men, Robert White, is not with him anymore, and Keith was there, and he can give you more of the details. Brandon Clark was distracting me while Robert White was in my daughter's bedroom. I could hear the squeaking floorboards in my daughter's bedroom because I know the sound of my house. And I asked the guy, I said, where's your friend? And he wouldn't answer. You know, he just kept giving me a frivolous answer and tries to brush me off. And so I look and I see him poke his head out of my daughter's bedroom. And I said, what are you doing in there? Come out of there. He halfway comes out, so I walked toward him. I said, hey, leave my house. You guys get out of my house. And as I got close enough to him, the other guy punched me in the back of the head. And then White attacked me from the side. So I'm fighting two guys in my house, complete strangers, within three minutes of entering my house. You know, we were on the ground, on the floor, I should say. And the guy Clark was kicking me while I was on the floor. Clark's six foot eight, 330 pounds. And Robert White's six foot two, 280 pounds. And I'm 5'9", 155. So when he's attacking me, like kicking me, I uh, pulled my service revolver. I fired and I struck both of them. The assault ceased. Later, Clark died and Robert White lived. And as I think about this story, and as a father myself, I mean, and I think every father can relate to this, 
you would do anything to protect your kids. We all would. And I'm trying to put myself in your shoes at that moment. You're being brutally, viciously attacked right there in your own home. And your wife and young daughter are right downstairs. These two men are beating you. like, And they're winning because you had no shot combined. They weighed four times as much as you did. And they kicked you so hard that your watch broke. It flew off of your wrist. I mean, this is a life and death situation, and you had a grim choice to make. Am I getting this right? No, you're right. Listen, my wife and my six-year-old daughter were home, and I knew that if I didn't survive, who knows what would have happened to them. Five minutes earlier, we were having dinner and just sitting around laughing and joking. And five minutes later, I'm wrestling two strangers, fighting two strangers, on the floor in my own home. That's how quickly this thing unfolded. I mean, it's a harrowing thought, but your adrenaline kicks in and you do what you got to do. This episode is underwritten by AIG, a leading global insurance company, and by Accenture, a global professional services company with leading capabilities in digital, cloud, and security. Working to reform the criminal justice system is a key pillar of the AIG Pro Bono program, which provides free legal services and other support to many nonprofit organizations and individuals most in need. As part of Accenture's commitment to racial and civil justice, Accenture's Legal Access Program provides pro bono legal services in partnership with more than 40 organizations, bringing meaningful change to people and communities worldwide. So the attack finally ceases. Both men have been shot. Your wife has called 911, and police and paramedics arrive. Eventually, everyone's taken to the hospital. What happened next? So when they got to the hospital that night, I guess about 15 or 20 cops were there, along with the detectives in charge of homicide division, and they were trying to interview Robert White. And White played the Fifth Amendment. He refused to talk to the police. He refused to give a statement. He refused to say what happened. Subsequently, what we found out is that he did not work for the furniture delivery company and that he was picked up on the side of the road by Clark and brought to my house, along with a couple of other houses. From best I can tell, other people have said that they were casing houses. White has several burglary convictions and several convictions for fencing stolen property. So anyway, the state's attorney was aware of all of that information also. Mr. White, as I said, pled the fifth, and the state's attorney in charge of the case, Glenn Ivey, informed the two detectives at the hospital not to arrest Robert White under any circumstances. Out of the blue, that they had never seen a sitting state's attorney, a sitting prosecutor, come to the hospital and tell the police not to arrest a career criminal, a suspect in a shooting and an assault, and they could leave, which they did, after he informed them that they were not to interview Mr. White or even talk to him. It's so, so bizarre. I mean, because obviously Robert White had a lot to gain, first by his silence and then by lying, because if Keith was not guilty, then he and Brandon Clark were, which wouldn't be hard to believe with White's 12, that's 12 previous convictions, including assault and battery, unlawful entry, larceny, grand larceny, receiving stolen goods, attempted third degree burglary, first degree burglary, pointing a firearm, domestic violence and first-degree sexual assault for which he had served 10 years. He also had over 20 additional arrests for crimes ranging from peeping Tom 
to attempted murder, but the state's attorney, Glenn Ivey, who eventually ran for Congress, purposefully turned a blind eye to all of that and instead focused on Keith. They tried to dig something up that they could use against Keith, analyzing DNA, fiber transfer, gunshot residue, special casings, telephone records, 911 call, and, and so much more. All of the evidence, of course, didn't show them what they were looking for. But what it did show was that Keith had acted in self-defense and Keith never should have been charged. And then, despite the clear nature of this incident, 12-time convicted felon Robert White's flow of inconsistent statements. Let me rephrase that. Robert White's flow of total bullshit went totally unchecked. So they're just ignoring this career criminal who's a real menace to society. And then here comes the kicker. Robert White filed a civil action against you, Keith, and Prince George's County seeking, ready, $400 million in damages arising out of the shooting. Wow. It was dismissed, surprise, surprise, but not before garnering a serious amount of media coverage. It also comes out later that someone else had filed that hand-fisted civil action on White's behalf. Perhaps someone who maybe wanted to draw a ton of media coverage, like a person who wanted to show what a bulwark of justice they were, by holding a decorated veteran, law enforcement officer, and homeland security official to account for what was alleged to be an unjustified shooting. And by the way, if it were the case that this was some trigger-happy cop, I'd be the first one to say justice should be applied equally. But that's just not what this was, and they fucking knew it. So this media attention ramps up to public pressure, and the prosecution is aiming to score big political points and advance their careers if they bring home the win. And that's not me editorializing. Both prosecutors were overheard saying things to that effect. And I'm talking about prosecutors Joseph Wright and William Mumau, who had all the information and evidence proving Keith's use of self-defense, and yet they still argued that the shootings were unprovoked and unjustified. The state allowed Robert White to create his own version of events where Keith was unattacked, unprovoked, where you hadn't been stomped on and kicked, where you hadn't exhausted all other options before pulling out your service revolver. They used this testimony that changed every time White recounted the incident. Every time. Keith, can you take us through some of the evidence that should have ended this prosecution before it started? They had the evidence. The lead investigator, Lieutenant Charlie Walls, briefed them. He had the DNA evidence, the gunshot residue evidence, the trace fiber evidence from the clothing. They said they never touched me. Well, I said he was kicking me. I was on the ground. He was kicking me and I shot him. The clothing fiber evidence showed the fibers from my shirt and vest on his pants leg. So they had that evidence that contradicted his statement. They had the gunshot residue. He said that they were shot from across the room. The gunshot residue test done by the uh, ATF showed that he was shot from three inches away, three to 12 inches. He said he was shot from across the room. They measured the room and a minimum of eight feet, which wouldn't have left any gunshot residue. He said he called my house. They had the phone records that showed he never called my house before they arrived. They said that he was a delivery man for Marlowe's Furniture. Marlowe's Furniture had given them a statement, the human resource director, Ms. Akila Ross, that not only does he not work for them, that they've never heard of him or never seen him, and that Marlowe's would never hire sex offenders to work on their delivery trucks because their insurance wouldn't cover it. They had the toxicology report that showed that he was on cocaine. 
the two state's attorneys denied that the toxicology test was ever even given on Robert White. They proffered to the court, to the jury, and to the general public that he was an employee of Marlowe's Furniture, that he was not a registered sex offender. All of these things and more happened in my trial by these two prosecutors. I mean, this is a litany of horrors, right? We have a prosecution team that is hell-bent on convicting an innocent man while protecting a guilty one. And they had all of the evidence pointing to Keith's version of the events, clearly contradicting what Robert White testified to. White maintained that neither he nor Clark were close enough to Keith to assault him when he shot them. Now, we've mentioned the gunshot residue and what that meant, but also White's DNA was found on Keith's gun. Clark's pad fibers were found on Keith's vest from when he was kicking him. Neither of these things can happen from across the freaking room. None of the spent shell casings recovered by technicians were located even near the master bedroom where Robert White said Keith was allegedly standing when he shot them. Instead, the casings were recovered from the middle of the upstairs hallway and hall bathroom where Keith and Stace had maintained that the altercation had taken place. But the prosecution doubled down on the lie. Listen to this. The prosecutors made 31 false and misleading statements throughout the trial that were objected to and sustained. These were obviously meant to intentionally mislead, throw off the jurors. There were nine objections to statements made by Prosecutor Joseph Wright during his closing argument alone, including that Robert White had only one conviction and that there was no cocaine test given to Robert White. These were just straight up lies. His criminal record and toxicology report were absolutely available, yet the jury was not made aware of them. This is just so nuts. It's so wrong. White had denied under oath to the grand jury about being a sex offender, which the prosecutors allowed him to do. The state's attorney in charge of the case knew all of this. The prosecutor, William Mumau, later said, he said, we put Robert White on the stand. He was a witness of ours, but you'll never see me standing in front of a jury saying that this witness says the truth. Wow. Are you fucking kidding me with this shit? Wow. And certainly if the jury would have learned those things, it would have had you know, a real impact on the outcome of the trial. But they didn't get to know these things. They weren't presented. And these jurors were not mind readers. So for all the jury knew, Robert White and Brandon Clark were just two humble furniture delivery men who had the misfortune of walking into the home of a trigger-happy cop. A trigger-happy cop who had never used his gun before, by the way. So let's not leave that out. And on February 13th, 2008, clearly the prosecution's lies and manipulations worked. The jury found you guilty, Keith. And what was that very moment like? I mean, when you when you heard the word guilty and then when they sentenced you to over two times the maximum sentence. As it relates to the moment the jury came back with the conviction, I watched my wife cry. I watched my daughter cry. The guy put handcuffs on me. I watched my sister cry. I watched a lot of friends and relatives. You know, I felt bad for them. The pre-sentence investigation came back with a minimum of five years and a maximum of 20 years. And the judge gave me a 45-year sentence. He went over 100% past the maximum sentence that was recommended. And he went over 900% past the minimum sentence that was recommended, which was five years. And I don't think anyone's ever received a 45-year sentence for involuntary manslaughter. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In prison, you're either a wolf or a sheep, especially in a maximum security state prison. And so the fights, the stabbings, the gangs, the deaths, the atrocious conditions... The mental stress, the anxiety, you name it. And, you know, no matter what happens to me, I'm fine with what happens to me, but I knew that my family was going to go through the fire with me. Because when a family member goes to prison, you know, in actuality, the whole family goes to prison. Their life stops, too. It was my family that suffered. Listen, it was the worst feeling I'd ever had. And I knew that I was going to fight like hell to get out of prison. Every minute, every second, every hour, every day, that I was just going to fight. I didn't know anything else to do. I was going to work on my case. I had 12 volumes of transcripts. And so I talked to my wife on the phone every day for about two years. I would dictate Robert White's testimony to her over the phone, and she would type it. I would sit up at night and go over his testimony, get all the contradicting statements and put them together out of those 12 volumes, which was about almost 2,500 pages. 
And then we put up a website after about two years of doing that because I wanted transparency in the case to show people that everything they said was false and that it was intentionally false. There's two attorneys in the case, William Moomau and Joseph Wright. We found out nine months after my conviction. They had hidden just tons of evidence and lied about evidence that their own witnesses, their own state experts had collected and given to them. Numerous people, including state's attorneys, other prosecutors in that office came forward with statements that they had told their boss, hey, they falsified the evidence in Mr. Washington's case. They willingly manipulated, lied, falsified the evidence and that Mr. White is not telling the truth on any of the issues, according to the physical, forensic, and the scientific evidence. Mr. Ivey, he told my wife that I got a raw deal, but he told her privately that there was nothing he would do because it would affect his wife's political career, who at the time was a state delegate. Jesus Christ. And, and to add another insult to injury, after you were wrongfully convicted, Robert White was arrested on two more occasions for breaking into the homes of two different women and physically assaulting both of them, which should outrage all of us. These other incidents didn't have to happen, and they wouldn't have happened. They had a guy who you think that anyone in their position, right, should want off the street. Anyone would want him off the street. But instead, they chose you. I mean, why? Was doing what they were supposed to do just not a cool enough story? I mean, do you have any theories at all on this? Well, as near as we can tell, and I believe we can factually prove and provide to the current state's attorney that we have several officers of the court who called my family and spoken with my family, and they've illuminated the motive for this case, where Mr. Wright allegedly bragged to several other attorneys what he and Mr. Moomau were promised for bringing back a conviction. Mr. Wright was promised a political endorsement to run for state's attorney by his boss, and that Mr. Moomau was promised a judgeship. Now, this is according to their colleagues in their very own office, that Mr. Wright was bragging that he was going to be the next state's attorney, and he had to deliver the Keith Washington conviction to do that. That his boss, Mr. Ivey, used the case to run for Congress in 2010, and that he was using this case as I, he was tough on police corruption, and he ran for Congress on that issue, using my case specifically, and even went to the police academy and spoke to numerous people, uh, including the cadets in the police academy, about my case in police corruption and used me as a whipping boy while I was in prison. And so he ran in 2010 for Congress. He didn't win. He lost the primary. Joseph Wright ran for a state's attorney in 2010. He also lost. And William Umau put in for his judgeship and didn't get it. <laughs> now, a new administration came into office in 2010. And so Mr. Ivey had to fulfill his promises to those two guys. And he subsequently got Moomau a job as an assistant U.S. attorney. He didn't get him his judgeship, but he got him a job as an assistant U.S. attorney, from what I'm told. And that Mr. Moomau's raise, uh, an state's attorney in Prince George's County, made about $55,000 a year. I'm assuming the assistant U.S. attorney makes about $110 or 120 somewhere around there, as a GS-12 or so. So that's a significant raise. And Mr. Wright was given a judgeship in 2010. So his salary went from 55000 to about one forty. Holy actual fuck. I mean, you're hearing this from the people immediately around them who were directly involved in the case. What about the investigators? I mean, they obviously knew that this case was built on bullshit and lies as well, right? Well, the lead investigator, Lieutenant Walls, he put on a record that he attended at least three meetings where the whole conversation between him and Mr. Wright 
and Mr. Mumau that all they talked about was falsifying the evidence before the trial. Mr. Wall says he wouldn't go along with it. After the meeting, Joseph Wright fired him from the case and told him to turn over his case files and they have no further contact with the case. After he had collected the DNA, he had collected the gunshot residue, Walls had collected the statements of individuals and homeowners who had sought injuries on me. Later, the state's attorney's office came to him and offered him a job as an investigator in the state's attorney's office that he could retire from the police department, draw his pension, and come work for them. Come work for the very people who just fired him from the case. Wall says that he put in his paperwork to retire from the police department and came back and worked for the state's attorney's office as an investigator, obviously with a significant raise. And you can draw your own conclusions, but I would say it appears to be hush money. And Walsh said it. he'll tell anybody what actually happened if he's subpoenaed and asked those questions. Another bit of good news is that Mr. Wright is no longer a judge, that he was convicted in 2018 of perjury and falsifying government documents by the Maryland Judicial Disabilities Board. That was clearly people with blind ambition willing to lie, cheat, or steal involved in my case. Marty, in 2020, your amazing students in the Making Exoneree program there at Georgetown investigated Keith's case and made a brilliant short documentary about it. And we're going to make sure to include a link for that in the bio. And their hard work has made such a phenomenal impact on this case and so many others. So, Marty, if you could just summarize for us how it is that Keith is sitting here with us on the show today. After extensive litigation, a retired judge was brought on to review Keith's entire matter on May 14th of 2021. Everyone got together and a hearing for a modification of Keith's sentence was conducted based on the totality of everything at that time. And it almost broke it down to time served. Within a few short weeks after the judge issuing that opinion, Keith was freed. I was there when Keith walked out. Keith, where were you an hour and a half ago and where are you right now? Hour and a half ago, I was in a Department of Corrections van, headed to freedom. And now I'm home with my family. <laughs> and how does it feel, Stacey and Kayla, to have your husband and your dad home? It feels great. It feels like I've been waiting on this for 13 years. And that right there is the sound of Keith, freed from prison, finally back with his family at his home. It's, it's a beautiful sound. We sat around in his backyard and we had pizza and lemonade and enjoying the fresh air. And we were just sitting there talking. And at one point, we kind of just looked at each other like, was this real? You're trying to fathom the reality that Keith had just spent over 13 years in prison. And here we were sitting in his backyard. There wasn't a bitterness about Keith, about Stacy. You know, there was pure love and joy. Keith and Stacy have said to myself, Mark, and the students who worked on Keith's case that if we're ever in the neighborhood and we don't stop by, they'll be offended because we are family to them. And I think that is something that just demonstrates who Keith and Stacy are. They are just truly genuine people. Their love is probably stronger than ever. But even though Keith is free, the intentional wrongful conviction is still hanging over Keith's head, which it shouldn't be. Absolutely. And Keith, there's been news 
both a really long time ago, as well as more recently, that should have a positive effect on bringing about justice in your case. We already mentioned that Robert White, just weeks after your trial, was arrested not once but twice for breaking into homes and physically assaulting two women. And then there's been some more recent news. A uh, district court commissioner here in Maryland issued an arrest warrant for Robert White for perjury in my criminal trial. Wow. So there's an arrest warrant out for him as we speak. You know, so hopefully this will facilitate the case being overturned. And so now honest and reasonable and ethical people who are reviewing the case and looking at it can see that because there's no good explanation legally or otherwise as to how this happened. The current state's attorney, Ms. Brave Boy, she reviewed the evidence and she saw that, hey, this is an excessive sentence to say the least, notwithstanding that there are other issues as it relates to the integrity of Mr. Washington's conviction. And so we believe they're going to do the right thing shortly and overturn it due to the fact that Mr. White now has been charged with perjury in my case. We can only be hopeful that justice will prevail in an expeditious manner because it's been 13 years. Yeah, I think justice is coming in your case. I'm glad we're able to get the word out about it through this podcast. We're going to be shouting it from the rooftops. You've got an incredible team now. So I'm sure many of our listeners are feeling the same way I'm feeling, that this is outrageous, even by the standards of what we're used to hearing on this show, and that they want to help if they can. Is there a way that people can get involved? What can people do? And we'll link whatever it is in the bio so people can easily find it. A few things the listeners can do is demand that Aisha Brave Boy meet with us and vindicate Keith and dismiss his conviction. I think people can support the Making an Exonery program and anything Keith needs. Because one thing that I think we as a society fail to really address and understand is that each year, innocent men and women get released from prison by exoneration and they come out with nothing in many cases. There is literally no programs available that help individuals reacclimate, if not for the grace of God, that some of those people that get out have family and friends, I don't know what those men and women would do. Imagine being locked up for 15, 20 years, coming out and having nothing. No underwear, no soap, no shampoo, no toothbrushes, no toothpaste. And I think we as a society can do more. I think the corporations of America can do more. Thankfully, Keith does have an amazing wife and daughter, but not everyone is lucky and fortunate to have that. Well, I would ask people to go to the oneinnocentman.org website and familiarize themselves with the case and the evidence and the facts. And as Marty said, to call Mrs. Bray Boy's office here in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, and implore her to go ahead and overturn the case. The other thing, if you would, we'd like to give Georgetown all the kudos that they deserve because they're doing great work. Whatever we can do to support them, uh, that's what we're going to do. On Keith's page, oneinnocentmen.org, which was created by the three students at Georgetown, there is a donate button, which links directly to Keith's GoFundMe page. Who are the three students that worked on your case and created the website? Because I know they are part of your family. Josh, Celine, and Trevor. All right, Josh, Celine, and Trevor, shout out from the wrongful conviction team and from the man himself, or the two men themselves. 
and me. <laughs> um, keep doing the great work. I'm really proud of all the kids in the Making Zonary program. It's been a, a privilege for me to, to work with them and lecture at the school and stuff. So with that, we will now turn to the closing of the show, which is called Closing Arguments. And this is the part of the show that I always look forward to. First of all, thank you again, Keith, for your courage, for your service, for being here with us to share your incredible story. And of course, Marty Tanklip, what can I say, man, you just never cease to amaze me. And I'm so proud to call you my friend. And I really appreciate both of you being here. And now closing arguments works like this. I turn my microphone off, kick back in my chair, close my eyes and just listen to any final thoughts that you want to share. Marty, let's start with you and save Keith for the closing of the closing arguments. So for me, it's remarkable that I think back to when I was sitting in a prison myself, serving 50 years to life. And finally, in 2007, I was freed. And now it's 2021. And here I am, an attorney, adjunct professor at Georgetown and Toro Law School, And I get to have the opportunity to pay it forward and give people back their lives. I thank Jason and I thank the entire wrongful conviction team because it makes people understand the criminal justice system in ways that people don't want to believe exist. We wouldn't fully grasp how many problems our system has. And Jason has been a blessing for the Making Exonery program at Georgetown. And for that, we are grateful. And I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you, Mark, who's my partner in doing this at Georgetown, because with Mark and our amazing students, we are making a difference in people's lives. And I think it's the best thing that you can actually do. I'm always reminded by something that Joseph Flom told Jason Flom, and that's do something you love that leaves a lasting impression and makes a difference. And if helping students get somebody out of prison doesn't fulfill that mantra, not really sure what does. Keith? I learned a long time ago that we all have our crosses to bear. We all go through difficult times. We all face uncertainty in our future. We all fight for a better life for ourselves and our family. And we've all been hurt and wounded and abandoned, but you can't give up. And I will tell people, never give up. You're only facing a challenge in your life that other men have met. And so be of good courage, be strong of character and of will, have faith, do what you must. Love your family, love your life, beautify your life. When people take your faith, they've really taken everything that you possess. When they take your courage, they've taken everything that you possess. So without faith and courage, you're just an empty vessel. All I want to leave people with is to know that there are people of goodwill out there. There are people who are just, who are honest. There are people who have integrity. There are people who will fight for you because they believe in what's right. And I want to applaud those people. We are kindred spirits. And so wherever you find a person like that, support them. Believe that they're going to support you. If I can help anyone, because I've been helped in my life, this has taught me a valuable lesson, no matter what myself and my family have gone through. We want to be a light to others. I appreciate everything.
that the people at Georgetown have done. Marty, Mark, Celine, Josh, Trevor. I appreciate the exoneration program. Listen, I appreciate you, Jason. I appreciate your podcast. I just want to leave the people who are listening to your program with something to think about. You are what makes this country great, all of us. And so if there's a deficit somewhere, it's up to us to fix it, no matter where we find it, and try to leave a better place, a better country, a better society for the next generation. My wounds will heal. And so we'll use this as a lesson to be remembered and learned, and we're going to build from there. I thank you guys for the platform. I thank you for supporting our cause. And uh, we'll see you around the water cooler. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction. Please support your local innocence organizations and go to the links in our bio to see how you can help. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Justin Golden, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardis. The music on this show, as always, is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer, Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number 1. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.